Alberta's governing United Conservative Party is looking for a new leader after Jason Kenney announced he would be stepping down. Kenney made the announcement after receiving a bare majority of support in a scheduled leadership review. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Calgary Sun columnist Rick Bell joined me Thursday morning after the surprise announcement to discuss why Kenney fared so poorly with members of a party he built, what's next for the UCP, and how this shapes the remaining year before the next election. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you'd leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Rick, big, exciting night in Alberta politics Wednesday night. How are you feeling this morning? Well, if I sound a bit groggy, it's not because I'm hungover. It's because I'm dog tired, but I've got a very large, supersized can of Red Bull in my hand as we speak. And if you hear me slurping, you'll know what it is. <laughs> so I'm ready to go. I'm living on Red Bull and adrenaline. There you go. Well, yeah, as, as mentioned, was it was an exciting night in Alberta politics. It was an exciting night in Alberta. There was a fantastic hockey game as well. But right. we're here to talk about Jason Kenney. And, you know, before we dive into the why it all happened and how things went wrong for Jason Kenney here. First, can you sum up why he was facing a leadership review? Well, there was supposed to be a leadership review at some point, but people were pushing for it, you know, because of the discontent about his leadership and a growing discontent. And contrary to what he believed, which was that Albertans, they love me, they really love me. You know, there was there was real concerns and growing concerns we had members of caucus calling for you know his resignation or coming very close to calling for his resignation and it just went on and on i mean there was just so much he talks about the that it was the divisiveness of covid but in essence it was party members who were discontented a growing number for lots of reasons including covid but not exclusive to covid who kept demanding a leadership review sooner rather than later. Now, some of them wanted it last fall. Some of them wanted it by March 1st. There are all the machinations about what happened after that, the April 9th and the meeting in Red Deer, which then got rescheduled to a mail-in now. So this the story dragged on and on and on and on. But in the end, in more ways than one, they got what they wanted. And it's interesting, Kenny and his team got to control the vote, when it happened, where the vote happened, when it happened, how it happened. Mm -hmm. They controlled all of that. Plus, they had the power of being the premier, of incumbency, of being able to strategically have good news announcements, of having him on the radio every uh, weekend. All of that stuff. So they had the power of, of the premier's office, and they had the party doing his bidding as far as how the leadership vote would go. And still, it was what it was. Yeah, and Wednesday night, you know, we waited a little longer than we had hoped for the votes to roll in. We were supposed to get them between 4 and 6, and it wasn't until after 6.30 that we finally saw numbers. Right. And when returning officer Rick Orman, former PC cabinet minister from back in the day, took to the live stream, read out the results. Do you support the premier? He gets a bare majority. 51.4% of UCP members support 
the premier. What was your thought when the 17,000 votes yes were read out? It's finally happened. I've written many columns supporting him from the time he sort of came back to Alberta and started his unity quest all the way to his landslide election in 2019. And soon after, I kind of soured on him for a variety of reasons, the large one being he was not as he portrayed himself to be. Uh, And I did not think he was going to hang on. And that's an interesting part of this story, Mm -hmm. is Rick Orman says, okay, he's getting 51.4%. So I I just went over the tape this morning. And he comes out, and there are cheers, whistles, and yahoos! And then he says, this is a result not to be expected. I'll respect the decision of the members, because he's always said that, right? Yeah. And then there's more cheers. Yay! Now, at this point, the crowd knows it's 51.4%. It's only 51.4%. But Kenny had always said 50% plus one is enough. So they cheer when he says, we'll respect the decision of the members. They're cheering because they believe he's going to stay on at 51.4. And then he says, I expect all members of our party to respect the decision. So they're thinking, see, we got, we just got in. We won 4-3 in triple overtime. <laughs> but a win is a win is a win, to quote Rick McIver. So they, at this point, think he's in, which means they're in, and they get to keep their side wins. And there's more cheers. And then he says, I've informed the party president I'm stepping down because I don't have enough support. And what does the crowd do? No! So right to the end, these people thought that 51.4% yes vote is enough for a political party leader and premier to continue to govern when half his party does not support him. Like the level of delusion of these people. And it goes on today, by the way, because now there are people saying, well, maybe he'll run in the leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a level of delusion here, or is it self-entitlement that they can't, because one of the people in the crowd told a reporter who was going up to the stage after Kenny was about to leave and the photographers were going up, I saw on Twitter, she said, yeah, go ahead, vultures. You got what you wanted. (laughs) That is exactly the problem with these guys. So it was either so it was either delusion, self entitlement. They thought there was a path to seventy five percent support. They just confirmed what I've been saying and others have been saying, which is he's he was out of touch. They were out of touch. And then, but then finally, there's this rude thing called reality, which comes to bear, and even now they cannot face it. And they cannot look in the mirror. We have a premier who everyone has talked about in politics, who is a great campaigner, who is a great organizer, who is like Stephen Harper's key campaign organizer at the federal level. This is a guy you can't count out. He can do it. He can get the numbers and the votes. Why do you suppose that there's that much discontent with him within the party? Let's get the COVID thing. There is a group of people, for sure, I can't deny it, who are still very angry with him because they felt he was too restrictive on the COVID file. Okay, so I'm getting that out of the way. If we talk about all of the other things, you're absolutely right. He was the superstar candidate. He was considered by many, including me, 
I will say, to be the most principled conservative in Canada. The Ottawa Press Gallery would talk glowingly of him being a terrific cabinet minister, being a person who was very well-versed in policy, very well-versed in conservative philosophy and principles. 19 years an MP, senior minister in the Harper government, the person who engineered the whole strategy of the Conservative Party to reach out to new Canadians. And he comes back here with that resume, and then he wins a leadership race again because people thought, here is the articulate person, here is the forceful person who can beat the NDP, who can throw them out of office. But he didn't know Alberta. All politics is local, and Alberta politics is not Ottawa politics. He didn't know the people of Alberta, and more importantly, and I don't care if he was MP for 19 years, he spent most of his time in Ottawa being a big shot. He did not understand Alberta. He didn't live here full-time for many, many, many years, and he didn't understand them. And then what did he do? He surrounded himself with people who were out of touch with Albertans. Now, a few of them were born in Alberta, but they were definitely not people who could advise him if he ever took any advice. I hear he didn't take much. But he didn't bring around him people from the blue truck that would reflect the blue truck that he always you know, drove during the campaign. There wasn't any Blackfoot diner thinking in his government. It was basically a government of elitists, many of whom were from out of province, many of whom have already left and gone back to their real home rather than sitting here living out of a suitcase. And that's who he brought around him. And he also did not listen. Mm -hmm. I've known this guy for 29 years. I've seen him in politics and I've seen him having lunch outside of politics. And suddenly the person, meaning me, who's written, let's say, a hundred columns saying he's the best thing to happen since the pop-up toaster, finally starts writing columns that are critical, saying I'm gobsmacked by what he's doing. I can't believe he, he, he did this and did this and did this. And not once did he ever ask me, nor did his staff ever, Rick, you wrote such great things about me. Why are you pissed off? Never. Because they don't think that way. They were in a bubble. They were in a comfy cocoon. And as I say, it showed on voting day. So this guy who was supposed to be a populist, I'm the man of the people. I'm like Ralph Klein. I I believe in severely normal Albertans. I had a 17-year-old boy in Hardesty cry in front of me because at the Esso station because, uh, you know, he was uh, – he was supporting his whole family in tough times. I I understand you. He understood squat. Mm -hmm. When it came to people, politics is local and politics is people. And politics are the people you surround yourself with. Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. Failed on all three things. Is it true there's a balanced budget? Yes, largely because of high oil prices. Is it true the oil prices are high and usually when that happens, Albertans are in love with whoever? Yes, that's usually the case. You don't have to be well-liked in the sort of, hey, buddy, old pal, let's have a beer over the hockey game. But Jason Kenney, he had just disappointed, some case angered, just too many people, including people who had supported him, including UCP voters from the last election. 
Yeah. And he never realized it right to the end. He said it. When he got to the stage, he said, I never expected this. And that's tragic. We'll be right back. Now, looking ahead, he announced Wednesday night he's stepping down as UCP leader. Presumably, he will be stepping down as premier at some point. We haven't had any indication that that will be today, and then there'll be an interim leader, or if he'll stay on as leader until the UCP selects a new leader in a leadership race. But we're a year out from an election. Right. They'll have to have a leadership contest. They'll have to find a new leader, put that leader in front of Albertans, let them get to know whoever that new leader is, and then fight an election against Rachel Notley and the NDP, who at right now are quite popular among voters. What does the party have to do next, in your view, to right the ship? Do they need a, a longer leadership race to let people talk policy and debate the future of the party? Do they need a short race to get the new leader out in front of voters as quickly as possible? What, in Rick Bell's view, is crucial for the UCP right now? That is the big question, an excellent question. I believe, apart from all the mechanics of how they set things up, that the United Conservative Party have to take a lesson from this. This isn't just about Jason Kenney. So, okay, Jason Kenney will go away. Now everything is better. Everything is not better. The attitude of what I call Toryland, this sort of self-entitled, crony-infested pit that conservative politics has become, that has to go. They have to do the soul-searching that they should have done when they were putting the two parties together, but they didn't have time to do, they claim, because they were so busy putting the two parties together in time for the 2019 election and in time to defeat the NDP. Now they have to do, no matter who they put for their interim leader, whatever, they have to do some soul searching themselves. Who are these people? It's the Jason Nixons. It's the Rick McIvers. It's Tyler Shandro. There's all of that. So there has to be a real re-examination of what has happened, and they have to become different than the PCs that were defeated in 2015. The big lesson of the 2015 election was not that Albertans suddenly were all embracing socialism. The big lesson of the 2015 election, or a big lesson, was that they were repudiating that tired old inside old boys club dynasty. And it sort of came back in a different form. That has to go. That whole image of arrogance, of not listening, it has to stop. They have to become more of a party of the people which they claim they are. And if they don't become a party of the people that they claim they are, then the people will leave them. I don't think people will have a tolerance for being conned one more time. I don't think they can just wax up the old blue truck, turn on the engine, and do it all over again. If I was an MLA at a caucus meeting, that's what I would be saying to them, that there is a lesson here for us, not just a lesson for 
Jason Kenney, because you know the majority of caucus never stood up to Jason Kenney. Now they're going to come out today probably and say, I knew it all along. I was the biggest fighter for freedom. No, forget about it. I think they have to do a complete cleanse if they want to stay in power in 2023. Now there's lots of talk of who may step up to replace him. There's a couple names that are out there right now. Brian Jean ran in a by-election with the sole purpose of moving along the Jason Kenney ouster. Former Wild Rose leader Danielle Smith has also talked about the possibility of entering the leadership race. And I know as we're recording, she's planning on holding a press conference this morning. It's Thursday morning right now. I assume that she may throw her hat in the ring or may raise the specter of running for leadership. Are there any others in cabinet, outside of cabinet, outside of caucus that you feel will put their names forward? And back to what you had mentioned before, is it possible Jason Kenney will turn around and say, well, hey, I had support of more than half of the party members that it instantly makes me a potential front runner in this leadership race. I'm going to go at it again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad question, but I'm only laughing because, boy, would that sell a lot of newspapers if he comes back and wants to do it again and say, no, I'm not leaving. You're, you're, you're left to drag me out of the premier's office. I suppose that could happen, but. That would surprise me. 51.4% didn't surprise me on Wednesday night, but that would surprise me. (laughs) But you know who's pushing that agenda? Pushing that agenda is probably his staffers, because you know what happens to a premier staffer is when the premier goes. Yeah. They go. So I'm sure it's that. The problem with the names in cabinet, you know, you know, Travis Taves may run. This person may run. You know, it's Jason Nixon. Are all these people going to run? Is to me, none of that is inspiring. Because all of those people were sort of Kenny loyalists, real loyalists. And they would have to somehow reinvent themselves as something else. In other words, at least the prominent members of cabinet carry the baggage of Kenny. So it will have to be somebody, and maybe maybe somebody in cabinet, but not the high profile. Like, you know, I don't think Tyler Shandro is going to be the leader. I don't think Rick McIver is going to be the leader. Maybe it has to be somebody from the outside. And of course, we don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. People keep mentioning names like Ronna Ambrose. I don't know if she's indicated any possibility of even thinking about it. Well, she's turned down federal leadership twice. (laughs) She said twice, I'm not running for the federal conservatives. but. But But that's an indication of why people are thinking, you know, if only Brad Wall lived here full time, maybe he would run. You know what I'm, you know, like people are reaching for that because I think they're trying to look for something that will make the UCP feel very fresh. Because right now, even with whenever Kenny does leave, you know, it's not the most inspiring group of politicians. It's not like in the Ralph time where you said, oh, it's going to be this guy, you know, Jim Denning's going to run. And, you know, all of these names just flowed out. Mm-hmm. And even when Ralph ran, there was, you know, Bet- Betkowski and Rick Orman, who was the returning officer last night. And there was sort of that, these people to me are pretty uninspiring, not for interim, you know, one of them will be interim leader, we would hope, but I would really like to see somebody from the outside. And number two, you're talking about Brian Jean and Danielle, and we'll see if they confirm that they're running just like, I don't think there's a huge appetite for the sort of more of the same insiders. I don't know how much appetite there is for a blast from the past. You know, I don't know. 
A lot of people speak very positively about Travis Taves, the finance minister, because he largely has not engaged in a lot of the to and fro within the caucus. Mm-hmm. So I've heard his name. Some people actually mention, I don't th- I don't know if she'd win the leadership, but mention Rajan Sani, who could be maybe a different face for the party, even though she is, you know, in the cabinet. She's actually pretty well liked. I'm trying to think about the people that are not like reviled by the no side. Mm-hmm. Like some of the people are reviled by the no side, like Jason Nixon, like Tyler Shandro. So if I'm thinking about that 48%, almost 49%. So Taves, I had supper with him once. He's a nice guy when you talk to him personally, but he would admit he's got a charisma deficit. (laughs) You know, I once said that to talk to Travis Taves trying to explain the budget, you have to have the brain of uh, the guy who was in goodwill hunting. You know, you got to be able to solve uh, complex physics formulas to talk to him. So I think right now there aren't any big superstars. Yeah. And remember the last time, it was all about the superstar. So I don't think there's any messiah at the moment. And I think they're looking for a messiah for the reasons that you stated, which is that the NDP could, and I just say could, win the next election. One last question for you on this and looking at how they approach selecting a new leader and and who some of the contenders may be. How much do you suppose... COVID-19 and the divisiveness that we've seen in the last two years flavors a leadership contest. And I, you know, we talk about Brian Jean and Daniel Smith, Brian Jean, I think most notably he called one of the organizers of the Ottawa freedom convoy, a political prisoner. You have Daniel Smith who courted controversy on her radio show, touting the benefits of hydroxychloroquine at some point during the pandemic. I know she walked that back, but we have some people who are seen as potential stars in the conservative movement in Alberta, who have kind of flirted with that anti-COVID, anti-lockdown fringe of the UCP base. And how does the party and how do leadership candidates potentially handle that part of the party base while also trying to win a leadership contest and then appeal to mainstream voters in the next election? You know, when Premier Kenny had his back against the wall, and his supporters had their back against the wall. In other words, they felt cornered by questioning of his leadership. He would always say, you know, we got to unite. We got to beat the NDP. So stick with me. And as you saw, many people do not buy that argument. But that does not mean the argument is invalid. It just means the person proposing that argument was not supported by enough people. One of the many questions the UCP has to decide is, do they want to win the next election? And that means they have to win the seats that I believe today they would lose if the election was today in Calgary. Mm -hmm. They have to have a leader that can present enough of a program, enough of an attitude to get the support of the people in the majority of seats. And that's just the reality. So, you know, There are parties all over the place. There's the Buffalo Party. There's the Alberta Advantage Party. There's the Wild Rose Independence Party. There could be more parties. And there was the threat that there could be another party, by the way, if Kenny had won, let's say, 55 or 58 percent and then hung on. Mm -hmm. So there was that appetite. But now that he is gone, I think the question turns to what do we need to do to win without 
you know, selling ourselves out, just saying what we, you know, living by polls every day. And that has to be a candidate who can appeal in urban Alberta, particularly Calgary. And because I don't think, I think Rachel Notley's going to win almost <laughs> all of Edmonton, if not all of Edmonton. Yeah. But also can reconnect. This is the big complaint I hear from people in rural Alberta, and that is nobody is listening. I don't hear them say nobody is agreeing. They talked to me, and I wasn't a person who said no restrictions. I never wrote a column saying Governor DeSantis in Florida was the right approach. But I take the views that they have seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think if there was a leader that showed a little bit of that prairie populism, that attitude of listening, not always agreeing, Klein didn't always agree. But if they had more of that and less of top-down, I talk, you listen approach, I think that would go a long way in rural Alberta. Because one of the great values there is grassroots democracy. And the Kenny UCP was the exact opposite of that. So that's what they have to decide. Is that, Are they a serious political party? A serious political party wants to win and presents their best case for winning. And I think there's at least half a chance that enough people will wake up to make that happen. Well, I know we'll see how the story unfolds over the coming days and weeks and certainly months. Oh, it's rock and roll. Between the Oilers and the Flames and these guys? Yikes. I'm going to have to drink a lot more Red Bull before it's all over. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks for your time again, Rick. Always a pleasure. Okay, take care. On Thursday, after a lengthy caucus meeting, Chair Nathan Newdorf announced that Jason Kenney would be staying on as leader and premier until a successor was chosen. A date for the new leadership contest has yet to be announced. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Rick Bell. More from him at calgarysun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.